You've seen the best. You've seen the worst. Now here's the rest of both worlds. I'm Gayfesh, and I don't bite. Well, that's wrong. I do bite. And I'm Ari, and I will not be complete without you. And today we will be discussing the Star Trek The Next Generation episodes The Emissary, Peak Performance, and Shades of Grey. Because it's the end of the season, and because Shades of Grey is a clip show, we figured we would just uh, wrap them all together, and we're going to be skipping our small talk and just get straight into the episodes. So, Ari, what's our first episode? The first episode is The Emissary. It is the 20th episode of the second season. It aired on the 26th of June, 1989. It, the teleplay was by Richard Manning and Hans Beamler. The story was by Richard Manning, Hans Beamler, and Thomas H. Calder, and it was directed by Cliff Bowl. I was waiting for this episode because uh, I, I knew you were going to absolutely love Kalar. Um, I'm in love with her, and she's Marshall's mom. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's Susie Plaxon. I, I mentioned her earlier when because we saw her earlier this season when uh, um, she was the uh, the Vulcan oh, doctor. That's right. You told me she was going to be there, and I didn't really think about it. But yes, yes, it was definitely Marshall's mom. Oh man, yeah. did I love her? I loved every moment of her being on screen. <laughs> and, and before we even get into the story, I'm just going to let you know she does come back. We get more of her. I know she's coming back because I was looking at IMDb um, and I was pretty excited to see she's coming back because I was trying to figure out where I knew her from um, before I figured out it was Marshall's mom. But I also know her from Mad About You. And it's funny because one of the ensigns is also the sister from Mad About You showed up in this episode, too. So two different people from Mad About You were in this one episode, which I thought was kind of funny. There's another weird uh, cameo I caught in this episode. Dietrich Bader is in this one. That name sounds really familiar. Uh, you've seen him in a whole bunch of comedy stuff. Um, but okay. he was like uh, the ensign who was like manning Worf's station when Worf was off going to get into Klingon garb. Oh, oh, interesting. And it was just like I saw him. I'm like, huh, that guy looks like Diedrich Bader. That can't be him. Wait, maybe <laughs> it is. And I check. It is him. Ah, nice. <laughs> He's just all young with the curly hair and everything. And I'm like, just like, yeah, yeah, it looks like a young Diedrich Bader. Kind of like that time I saw that guy that on the TV and I was like, man, that guy really wants to be Robert Redford. And then it turned out it was actually Robert Redford. That was yeah. that was Civil War, right? No, not Civil <laughs> yeah. War. That was it was um, the, it was Winter one of those Soldier. movies. Yeah, yeah, it was Winter Soldier. You texted me and I was just like, that is Robert Redford. <laughs> like, what? I was so convinced it was just some guy that looked like <laughs> Robert Redford. Yeah, I know. It's also um, really funny that you said, oh, this guy wants to be Robert Redford when he grows up. That was like his last <laughs> movie before he retired. I know. I know. I know. Um, I really loved this episode. Do I need to talk about all the reasons I loved this episode? I loved this episode. The costumes were great. <laughs> Her outfits were so good. Oh, like yeah. every time she came out in a new outfit, I was like, I'd like some alone time with me and her, please. <laughs> But I lo- I loved it. I loved this episode. Let's get into it then. Um, so we get another poker episode. Uh, and yeah. I noticed, were you, were you watching Data's shuffle? Oh, no, I forgot to watch. Because it wasn't a close-up hand shot, and he does the single-handed uh, card uh, uh, or uh, deck-cutting uh, maneuver. So okay. Brent Spiner actually can do it. I wasn't <laughs> sure, but it looks like, okay, no, he can do it. I wonder if he just was like a card shark before he started Star Trek or something. I, I don't know. I don't know anything about his background. Yeah, I don't know either. Uh, he, he definitely knows how to do some tricks. So that's handy. And, you know, when you're working in Hollywood, just like, oh, you know what? 
pick up random skills. You never know when you get to. You never know. Yeah. No, I was excited to see the poker come back. Um, I was like, oh, yay, hey, it's our second one, you know, because I hadn't seen it before. I thought it was interesting. And um, Worf is like cleaning house and Data's like, I don't think you understand how to play uh, because of the bets that he's making. And Riker's like, what are you talking about? His pile's bigger than yours. <laughs> and did you notice Pulaski uh, calls Worf handsome. And uh-huh. at that point, I was just like, oh, they're really playing this up now, aren't they? Uh huh. No, it says right here on, on my notes talk or play, not both. Oh, Pulaski called Worf handsome. <laughs> That's what it says right here. <laughs> um, and then did, did you catch the part where Worf says Klingons don't bluff? Klingons don't bluff, which because uh, that's exactly what he does at the end of the episode. I caught that irony. (laughs) (laughs) I saw what the writers were laying down and I picked it right up. (laughs) Is it technically a bluff, though? He bluffed. Well, 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 I was thinking he bluffed if that he was the captain. But technically, John Luke made him the captain. He he had transferred commands to him. Like when when Picard came back, Worf transferred command back to him. So I guess for like uh, 10 seconds of the show, Worf was captain of the Enterprise. Anyway, uh, they get uh, a a priority message from Starfleet Command saying, oh, there's an emissary you've got to go meet up with, you know, top secret is stuff we can't broadcast what the mission is over the things that the emissary will uh, brief you and the emissary isn't traveling by ship they're traveling in a class eight probe which just is just literally a space coffin that for some reason even though this thing is only literally the size of a coffin it has a warp drive that can go warp nine uh-huh i was confused by that too <laughs> yeah like i'm like sorry no i th- if it was the size of a shuttlecraft, okay. But this is literally just a space coffin. Where are you? Then, like, so they space coffined her out into the ether, right? Like they were just like, Pshoo! They, they like just I didn't shot quite her understand. Out. Yeah. Anyway, so they they meet up with the the uh, the probe and then beam it aboard and. She's there and they're like, "Oh, you're a Klingon," and but like Pulaski scanning her is like, "Oh, but you're." Uh, scans are looking weird and she's like well i'm only half klingon because my mom was a human and that actually uh gives her and uh deanna some bonding time and i noticed this episode actually like uh passes the bechdel test because like she she and deanna actually have a couple scenes where they're just talking about uh growing up half human yeah, there was a lot of good scenes of them two together. That's a good point, because, yeah, they do talk about what it's like to grow up being half Betazoid, half human, half Klingon, half human. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I thought that I thought there was such a good like chemistry between them, too. Uh, anyway, so she goes to give him a briefing that there is a uh, Klingon sleeper ship that uh, is due to uh, wake up the crew. And because it's been like in stasis for like 75 years, when they went into stasis, the Klingons and the Federation were still at war. So they're about to wake up like in the middle of Federation territory. And their first thought is going to be to attack the nearest colony. So they have to intercept there before they can wake up. And the reason that the uh, they're getting the Enterprise to do it is because the Enterprise is closer than the nearest Klingon ship. Klingon ship is also on the way, but they're like, look, you're closer. They may wake up before anyone of any of us can get there. Right. So the plan is, you know, uh, if they're still asleep when they get there to, you know, just go and, and disable their their wake up routines and wait for the Klingons. But if they wake up, well, Kalar says that <laughs> there's going to be no negotiation. There's never going to be a way to convince them because she's really doesn't like Klingons. 
<laughs> I yeah, um, we we'll get into that actually, um, probably more in her next appearance. But um, she just is like, look, these these are Klingons at the height of the war between the the Federation and the Klingon Empire. You're not going to be able to convince them. You're going to be forced to kill them. And Picard's like, well, I can't accept that. So you and Worf work out another way. And she and Worf have a history that isn't quite fully explained. But Worf is very, like, grumpy about seeing her at all. Apparently, they did not end things on good terms. Yeah. And... You know, she's being her, her you know, sarcastic, uh, sassy self at him, but he's just, like, not having any of it. Uh, but Picard uh, assigns them to work together, and Worf is just like, can, can you assign someone else? And Picard is like, okay, well, do you have uh, personal or uh, professional reasons uh, not to take this assignment? And he's like, personal reasons. And then he pauses, like, all right, I withdraw. But <laughs> I gotta say, I, I think personal reasons are kind of, like, an important reason to maybe not want to work with someone like yeah what if they were your abuser that's not a professional reason not to work with someone that's a personal reason not to work with someone and it's a legitimate reason not to work with someone i agree yeah i thought that was weird too um but i think you know in they were trying to push wharf and having this interaction with her but sure. it didn't seem fair if he's saying i'm not comfortable there's a million other people that could help her on the bridge or on the ship i mean and so it was a little weird it does make sense for them to work together on this problem, though, because they are the two Klingons on mm-hmm. the ship. So yeah. they have the best insight into the Klingon mind uh, and the Klingon culture. So, like, I understand Picard saying, no, this is going to put put aside whatever issues you've got with her. This is important. So, like, yeah, I understand Picard uh, having him go through with it. But uh, Kalar seems fixed on the, oh, there's no solution to this problem. We're wasting our time. Just blow up, blow them up. And, you know, they have their little argument and she gets frustrated and goes off to her quarters and, like, smashes a, a glass table. <laughs> a gla- like, yeah, because you wouldn't like her when she's angry. <laughs> yeah, she just smashes through a glass table. I was like, oh, luckily she has a glass table to smash through. <laughs> and Deanna walks right through the door and she's like, I think you're upset. And Kayla's like, oh, did your uh, Betazoid senses tell me that? And she's like, yeah, that, that <laughs> I was writing down making fun of it right as she said, oh, did you bait? I was like, oh, good. They're going to make fun of it for me. I don't have to make fun of <laughs> it. <laughs> but anyway uh deanna recommends you know uh like at first kayla's like look if you're gonna be here to be a counselor i don't want it and dan's like no no actually i was gonna recommend you know if, if you've got some steam you need to blow off uh there are some really good exercise programs on the holodeck and so she goes and she browses through the selection and finds Worf's klingon calisthenics program she does yeah <laughs> which i because I, I love those monster designs especially like the, the oh, skeleton i was so orc. excited to see skull guy come back yeah, yeah i was I like oh yeah design. <laughs> yeah I had forgotten about him, but I was so excited. So she goes in there and starts beating shit up. And Worf, like, uh, goes to the bridge and he's all grumpy and everything. Um, And Picard's like, all right, dude, I order you to relax. Which, has that ever worked? Can you just (laughs) order someone to relax? No, it's like telling someone to calm down. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Although, I, I think it's playing on Worf's sense of duties. Like, it is an order. It's like... Okay, I respect Picard. Uh, I'll try to do what he wants. So he goes, he's like, all right, I'll ble- blow off steam on the holodeck. But since Kaylor's already there, it's like, okay, I guess we're just going to go and do the calisthenics program together, which immediately turns into Klingon sex. With a lot of hand smelling. A lot of hand smelling. And like, he, <laughs> he actually like crushes her hands to the, like, it drives her nails into her, her palm. Yeah. Uh, 
Which is funny because, like, in the very, like, you know, it, it cuts to commercial right at that point. So we assume that they had sex during the commercial break. But then when we see her next, like, her hand, the palm is just totally fine. There's no blood on it. There's no marks or anything like yeah. that. And I'm just like, that feels like a uh, um, continuity error. Makeup should have caught that one. Even if, like, they heal fast, there'd still be a mark or some dry blood or something. There. Yeah, that's a good point. I thought it was weird, too. Yeah. But anyway, uh, Worf, in true... I don't even know the way to say this. Have you ever had a hookup with someone where you're just like, oh, boy, we really should have talked about what this was beforehand. Because, uh-huh. uh, buddy, that's not what I was looking for. Yes, <laughs> I have. <laughs> because as soon as it's done, he's just like, all right. And like he he like declares something in Klingon, uh, which is like uh, apparently initiating like the the marriage right. Uh-huh. And she's like, I am not going to become your wife. <laughs> and he's just like, but we are already mated. It is done. And she's like, no, I've screw your Klingon <laughs> culture. I'm not doing that shit. And she's like, look, this is a lot of fun. But like, that's not what I was signing on for. And he's just like, well, this, you dishonor our traditions and all this. Like, dude. Uh, now I understand why he's an incel. <laughs> right. Yeah, that was well, because that's what my notes say. My notes say, wait, does that mean that he was a virgin before? Because he immediately tries to marry this woman. Yeah. I don't think he was a virgin before. I think he's just, you know, very pouty that that not every woman he sleeps with wants to immediately marry him. <laughs> By the way, I looked up what he said in Klingon because uh, mm-hmm. it was a very short phrase. And I was like, oh, I'm curious what it is. And it's Klingon Chi, which uh, translates to I am a Klingon. Oh, well, you know, so <laughs> that's what I should have yelled at my wedding then. <laughs> what, what it made me think of was he was a boy. She was a girl. Uh, can I make it any more obvious? It's like <laughs> I am a human. You are a human. <laughs> we made it. And as and as, as Kalar said, oh, yeah, I know I was there. <laughs> <laughs> because Kalar's like, we're, we're not getting married, dude. This was just some fun. Uh, he, you know, storms off. And then, like, the next time they have to go work together, he brings Data on as a chaperone. <laughs> and, like, you know, you know, Data has no idea that that's why he's there. And, like, she's just sitting there like, so, Data, what do you think is more perplexing, human behavior or Klingon behavior? And he's like, at this point... I I got no effing idea. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, there was one thing I noticed in Klingon calisthenics. They had swords. And Mm -hmm. um, you know what the batleth is? That's like the the traditional like two-handed Klingon blade. It's like a double-ended scimitar kind of a thing. I think so. I think I can picture what you're saying in my head. They don't have that yet. I don't think they introduced that in Star Trek until like season four. So it's it's absence here was notable because like if it had been invented, obviously that's what they'd be using to fight with. I but just, I liked um, that Worf kept that calisthenics program stocked with a power glove for her. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what that glove did. <laughs> As she punched with it, I didn't know what it did either. It actually that makes me think of the um the the spike gloves from the uh the racist space Wakanda episode. Oh that, yeah, uh, it does kind Tasha of yeah. Had. When they meet back together uh, with Data as the chaperone, uh, Worf is still insisting, like, look, there's got to be a way that we can make the Klingons listen. And I'm just thinking, dude, Kalar is half Klingon. And she didn't even listen to your marriage proposal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so then his idea becomes to cosplay. Also, Worf, you're fully Klingon and you didn't even listen to her saying she just wanted a booty call. So right. like, Klingons <laughs> listening is obviously not their strong suit. I kind of wonder, though, like, uh, because Kalar is like, look, th- these are still our options. 
either get there before they wake up and keep them asleep or kill them. And I kind of wonder at what point does Picard's value for life trump the Klingon's internal culture? Because like yeah. to kill a Klingon is to honor a Klingon. And that's not to say I would ever kill a Klingon, but like, you know, it's, it's one of those really complicated, uh, uh, interspecies, interculture things. Um, you know, it's like, at what point are you just imposing your values on another culture? Yeah. And I thought of that specifically when she said, you know, this is what they would want. Let them die in battle. And then it cuts to Worf looking over at her. And I thought, is it what they want, though? Like, without even knowing that, like, we've come to a place where the Federation and Klingons get along and stuff, is it really, like, is them dying under false pretenses a good death? It doesn't feel like an honorable death. Yeah, but fortunately, they don't have to die because Worf comes up with another solution, which is that uh, uh, once they find the ship, obviously the Klingons have already woken up and, like, they fire on the ship before, like, going to warp toward the nearest thing, so they have to go and catch up with it. But when they catch up and park themselves right in front of the ship, uh, they hail the ship, and it's uh, Worf and Kalar in full Klingon regalia as, like, the the captain and first officer of the Enterprise, and they're just yelling at the Klingons, like, have you lost your mind? Why are you firing? And just like, what? This is a trick. This is a Federation vessel. And he's like, dude, it's been 75 years. Did it not occur to you that the war might be over by now? (laughs) Which I thought was really clever. I thought it was a very clever wharf move. It was a really great move. And uh, as we talked in the beginning, when he said Klingons do not bluff, technically wasn't a bluff because he had been transferred command of the Enterprise and the Federation and Klingons are allies. We have the officer exchange program. Yeah. Uh, so you can have Klingon officers, even if they were in like Klingon garb serving on a, a Federation starship, just like you had Riker serving on the Klingon ship. Yeah. That would be interesting to have a Klingon do that exchange program that Riker did, like a full Klingon that hadn't been trained in Starfleet at all. Because we have Worf, who's been trained in Starfleet, but we don't have, mm-hmm. we don't have, like, we've never had an experience. Well, I guess we got that experience when Riker went to the to the Klingon ship. We got to see what they would react to. But, but you want to see how... the other, you want to see the opposite. You want to see do. a full Klingon officer show up on on the Enterprise and and uh, see how he integrates. Right, yeah. And then because I kept thinking, why did they need to get dressed up in the full regalia? Because wouldn't it be just as powerful to see Worf there in his Federation uniform? I think, well, because they already, like, accused them of uh, of behaving as traitors. I think if they showed up in, in Starfleet outfits, uh, I, I don't think they would have respected them. Because they wouldn't respect the outfit. They'd be like, well, that's the, that's the you're wearing the colors of our enemy. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. So I think, yeah, Um, there's there's a level of visual trickery going on because obviously that is not Worf's uniform, but it is a way to help the Klingons who have just woken up slowly realize, oh, our orders are like 75 years out of date. Things have changed. Let's reevaluate. So. Then uh, they're like, all right, we surrender to you. We're not going to fire. And then Worf's like, all right, we're going to send Kalar over there and she will uh, fill you in on the details while you get uh, while we wait for the, uh, the the other Klingon ship to come and they'll escort you back to the homeworld. Yeah. 
And uh, so on the transporter pad, uh, we actually find out that Kaylor said, well, you know, I actually was kind of a kind of tempted to take the oath. So, uh, there, you know, it was a little bit more to her than a booty call. Yeah, just a little bit. I mean, I don't think she ever wants to get married, but I guess I'll see you next episode. <laughs> <laughs> I really liked her. She was a really interestingly written character for Star Trek. Like, it, she was different because she, I was really glad that they didn't just make her a Riker love interest because she had some of the personalities of the Irish lady from an episode or two ago. Mm-hmm. And, um, but like had actual dimension and depth to her as opposed to that Irish lady. I can't remember her name. Um, the one that Riker hooked up yeah. with. Um, but like, I was glad that this was that, that it got to be Worf because usually when there's, you know, a headstrong female character, they play it over to Riker almost immediately. <laughs> if Worf wasn't on the ship, Riker absolutely would have had sex with her. Yeah. That, yeah, that would just, absolutely. that would have been her thing. <laughs> yeah. And so I was really glad that, you know, that, they had written in that backstory and I didn't really care that we didn't get to know who she was or why they knew each other six years ago or whatever it was. I mean, I wanted to know, but Uh I didn't think it ruined the episode to not know. Um, There was a couple parallels with her that I saw to like my real life. Like, um, you know, one of the things as I've, as I've gotten older and I'm learning more about myself and feminism and stuff like that, I've had to get over a lot of my own internal misogyny, like things that are just there that are a part of being a woman in America that I was pre-built with a lot of these things from my religious upbringing and stuff like that that made me see women inequitably that I didn't actually understand or even a part of who I was and I saw a lot of that in her too and I thought that was really interesting mm-hmm. and it could also be played as trauma that because like her Klingon side of, is part of her because I also have a history of trauma. And so I saw that like it's a part of me, but I don't want to talk about it as kind of how I feel about my trauma. My trauma has shaped who I am, but that doesn't mean it needs to be a part of my life now. Um, and I wondered if they were trying to draw that parallel or not, but I don't think so. I well, that's that's interesting that you would say that because Bolana Torres, the Klingon character on Voyager, she's heavily based on Kalar because uh, okay. she's because she's also half human, and uh, the you know just the, the the internal struggle of the Klingon half and the human half, and being raised in two cultures, and uh, we find out with Bolana that she actually you know does have childhood trauma because her dad abandoned her mm. because she was too Klingon, too Klingon. Interesting, and yeah, so. There probably is some level of that there. Uh, although yeah. I, I, I expect with Kalar, she probably um, has more of it. She, she probably resents her Klingon half more. She probably doesn't um, have good memories of her Klingon half. Uh, of, of the and did they ever say which which side she was raised by? Was she raised by both parents? I don't remember if they ever said. I don't think they said. Uh, I, I assume it was, you know, her parents were probably together at least at some point i don't know if they stayed together but we yeah. don't we don't we don't know a lot about her or her backstory so um, in, re- I, in star trek lore is this the first half klingon we've seen uh yeah i do believe so yeah um i know there have been klingons that have posed as humans in like uh the original series there was the the trouble with tribbles there was a character who was secretly a klingon oh. um <laughs> but yeah as far as uh, klingon human hybrids i believe she is the first interesting so let's talk about the other holodecks. So I paused it to see what they were. 
There was scuba diving on Earth. These were all the options that yeah, were up yeah, there. Yeah, I wrote these down too, I think. <laughs> so scuba diving on Earth, the Klingon Rite of Ascension. So I assume, is that the same as the pain sticks? Was That's that the, the Rite of Ascension? Hallway, yep. Okay. Then Worf's Calisthenics. <laughs> and then Shikar Desert, which said it was on Vulcan. That is a Vulcan Desert survival course. Um, I actually think we see that in an episode of Enterprise. Okay. And then Carnival in Rio. Yep. And then, I don't know how to pronounce that place in France, Longchamp. It's a, it's a, 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 a horse racing track, I think. I yeah, looked it is up. It, was it, I wasn't sure if it was horses or cars. And it two Dixon Hills, which makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> and I just thought it was just a good collection. They actually put some time, even though it was on the screen for all of like two and a half seconds, because I had to back it up and pause it. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was cool that they put all those details in there. I thought, Especially uh, I thought it was cool. references to earlier episodes. Cause yeah. With the Dixon Hill. <laughs> Although it's it is funny that like of the things being pulled up, it would just be like, OK, well, here's three random things on earth or on vulcan then here's a couple episodes uh, having to do with picard and then there's Worf, and then it's like okay well who else uh uses the holodeck i imagine it's the entire crew where there's so few files <laughs> i know i thought i i did have that thought but i thought it i thought it was nice that they at least threw those details in there yeah also like because she looked, she asked for like exercise programs and like the stuff that was being displayed. Like Dixon Hill, that's not an exercise program. That's, that's not no. That's a hollow novel. Um, and you know, obviously, like racehorsing. I mean, uh, or horse racing. You know that that could be like if you're the one riding the horse, that can be some kind of exercise. Yeah. Um, uh, and you know, uh, the uh, the desert survival course, obviously. Um, right. But. Yeah, like, I don't know why Dixon Hill would be showing up there. That is true. I didn't think about that part because she did specifically ask for calisthenics or exercise or whatnot. But I mean, I I just thought it was it was clever. I liked them all on there. There was one thing I noticed Mm -hmm. that Worf said to the Klingon captain that really stuck with me. And he said, welcome to the 24th century. Mm -hmm. Why would you say a human date? To the Klingons. To the Klingons. It's a good now, point. M- maybe at this point, the Klingons have adopted the Federation calendar. I I can't imagine they would have, but it's slightly possible. Um, but 75 years ago, when they were at war, no, they'd use their own calendar. And even in the next episode that we're going to talk about, they say 10 of your minutes. The- yeah, so... Obviously, not everyone is using the Earth calendar. Uh, oftentimes, for like you know, just little bits of simple things like oh, ten minutes. There's no real need to be like, okay, well, wait, what's a minute? I need to load right. up the conversion chart. <laughs> That's irrelevant because it bogs down the story. But it does make it, it, it like for us as human viewers, we're like, okay, we understand what that means. But for Worf saying that to another Klingon. Was that just like the equivalent translate? I I imagine he was probably actually speaking Klingon, and we were just getting the the, the translation of it. Yeah. Uh, from from so like, did that just translate what the equivalent of like say the Klingons' third eon uh, age of Martok or whatever? I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I didn't know either. I mean, I thought it was a cool line. Welcome to the 24th century. I thought it was a great line. So it was obviously for our benefit, but you're right. It doesn't quite make sense from one Klingon to another. But but we I mean, one of my favorite lines of the episode was right at the end. Like, I can't remember who asks him what he thought of his like being a captain. And his answer was comfortable chair. 
(laughs) (laughs) And I thought that was, that was, I thought that was a very good Worf, like, personality thing to say, (laughs) you know? (laughs) So next we're going to talk about Peak Performance, which is the 21st episode of the second season. It aired on the 10th of July, 1989. It was written by David Kemper and directed by Robert Shearer. They are getting ready to do some uh, war game simulations. They're on their way to go rendezvous with an old uh, Starfleet ship that's just in orbit around someplace. I don't know why this ship is just in orbit around a random planet and not like at a starbase, especially yeah. if it's just like this an old and derelict. Like, well, you wouldn't want to abandon Starfleet technology for anyone else to grab. As we see later in the episode. <laughs> it's warp drive isn't working, so if you couldn't, like, tractor it to the nearest starbase shouldn't you like scuttle it you'd think like we've seen them do with other ships yeah but no it's just in orbit and they're just around a random place barely working so they but they're heading over there but they've brought on this like this advisor who's like supposedly like he's like a master strategist and he is like the smuggest little prick Oh, he's awful. He's so egotistical. He has this just like haughty every time he like, (laughs) like just just judging everyone at every moment. And like you can tell like Pulaski especially is just like, I want to knock this asshole down a peg. Yeah, she hates him. (laughs) But uh, the the idea is that Riker will take the the USS Hathaway, which is the uh, the lesser ship, which it's um it's also it's a uh, Constellation class starship, which is the it's the same model as the Stargazer, which is the one Jack Crusher died on, right? Correct. Before they uh you know uh, as Riker is assembling his crew before they go over there, he challenges the guy to a game of Stratagema, which is a strategy hollow board game thing the dumbest looking game i've ever seen (laughs) which is played you put like 10 little finger probes and you just wiggle your fingers to play it and i'm just like this is the most unintuitive game i have ever seen it looks even stupider than people playing vr (laughs) but apparently it is like you know just the game where it's like you know that's got a very high ceiling of skill and uh, this guy is like a third level grandmaster or whatever. And Riker is just challenging him for the fun of it to say, hey, you know what? <laughs> He's like, I know I have no chance of beating this guy, but I want to be able to say that I did. And I was just thinking, like, yeah, like if I met Gary Kasparov, I would totally let him kick my ass in chess just so I could say, yeah, I played chess with Gary Kasparov. Yeah, exactly. But because he beats him and he beats him like just soundly and like instantly. And Pulaski's just like, no, that's. Pulaski looks over at Data and goes, oh, oh, I bet Data would kick his ass. And like she, you know, asks Data to play him. And he's just like, oh, I I don't know why I would. I have no interest in playing that. (laughs) But but Pulaski then just suggests it to the other guy. uh, uh, And the guy's like, oh, Pulaski told me you're interested in playing a game with me. And Data's like, actually, I and then like he looks at Pulaski and she's like, please, please, please. Like, okay, yes, I am interested in playing you. And he gets beat pretty soundly, very soundly. And I just want to get this story arc out of the way because it's like the side plot before yeah. we get into the main thing. But he gets beat so soundly that he basically has a crisis of confidence and locks himself in his room and like isn't showing up to to, uh, you know, to his station and everything. And, and Picard's like, what what the hell is going on here? And like, you know, Deanna goes to check on him and he's just like, well, listen, I, there's no reason I should have lost 
so obviously there's something defective with me that I need I need to run all my you know uh, subroutines and, and scan everything, make sure everything's working okay. And you know then Pulaski shows up. He's like, no, it's just an ego. You just have a bruised ego. You just gotta like get over, it. and he's like, "No, I just, I no, it's not an ego thing. There's something wrong with me." And then finally, Picard shows up and is like, "Dude, you didn't do anything wrong." And the, the line, this is a line that gets spread all throughout the internet. It's like a very, very popular meme to spread. And it, I says, know, I was like, "This is the episode this comes from." <laughs> and the line is, "It is possible to commit no mistakes and still lose. That is not a weakness. That is life." Mm-hmm. It's a really good quote. And that's the kick in the pants Data needs to be like, okay, I'm actually going to go do my job now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and because of that, and then he challenges the guy to a rematch. And this time he alters his strategy. Instead of playing to win, he plays to a draw. And the game is like the longest running game of Stratagema that's ever been played. And yeah. eventually the Grandmaster just like rage quits <laughs> because he's like, this is not no way to play the game. So I guess Data wins by default because the other guy quit. It reminded me of many a magic tournament where the person's deck didn't do what they wanted or whatever. And they storm <laughs> off and they're like, yeah, well, you only drew those cards and that's the only reason you won. It really reminded me of that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that is kind of how the game works sometimes. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, I liked that subplot a lot, actually. I thought it was a great subplot with Data. And I liked him having... I actually really related to the crisis of confidence. like, And the way he was able to justify it, too. Like, well, no, I'm just being logical. Like, I should have been able to beat that human at that game, so it doesn't make any sense that I lost. So, obviously, something's wrong with me. Well, and it's it's an understandable thought process for him to have, because, like, I mean, you, you know, uh, everyone m- made a big deal about... Uh, what was it Deep Blue beating Kasparov? Mm-hmm. And back then, when we were just getting to the realm of supercomputers that were able to to play chess at that level, uh, what you don't hear is that Kasparov beat Deep Blue like six times before that. But now, supercomputers, they're unbeatable. Yeah. A Grandmaster cannot beat them. The, the best they can play is to a stalemate. So it does seem weird that Data, who's clearly more advanced than any computer we've got on Earth today, why he would lose... A game like that. I thought maybe there was more luck or something to the game that they were going to try to describe because they talked about luck versus skill a few episodes ago. Uh huh. But I, I kind of liked where they took it. I mean, without explaining the rules of the game, we have no idea why the dude won over Data. Like, we don't know what we don't know the rules of the game. They were waggling their fingers <laughs> at a screen, you know. <laughs> so what I kind of gleaned from the game is that it, it's obviously a real time game. Because, like, there is even, like, a move counter where Mm -hmm. uh, the Riker lost and he had only done 23 moves and the other guy had done 100. So there's clearly, you know, like an action per minute uh, skill level there. But obviously that's not a problem for Data. Data can calculate so fast that, like, yeah, he should be able to, like, make so many moves per second that he probably caps out. Like, there might be a limit on the game of how often you can make moves per second, but Data would easily cap that out Uh, i'm sure he'd optimize for it but i don't know i just it seems weird and again this is the show where in a couple seasons deanna's gonna beat him at chess because there's more to chess than just logic and that was the stupidest writing the show's ever had yeah so it's you gotta remember uh, especially also like in the original series whenever kirk and spock would play chess kirk always beat spock and it's because spock would never anticipate the 
unorthodox strategy because Spock was so single minded on his logic that he couldn't think of uh, riskier uh, gambits that 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 Kirk would make. That but would Data play wouldn't off. have that problem because Data would know all the different possible moves. <laughs> yeah, that that is that is the thing. Spock is dogmatically attached to his logic, to his ways of thinking. Data is just a computer. Yeah. So it's a little different there. I thought I almost I think, to be honest, I think I almost liked the B plot better than the main plot of this mm-hmm. episode. I, but the, the main plot wasn't terrible either. I mean, it was a real Riker centric episode without being all about Riker, mm-hmm. which I thought was good. Um, the fact Wesley that got he's, a lot to do in this episode. He did. So do, let's finish the plot about it. And then I want to talk about whether or not Wesley really did cheat, because I think he did. Uh, yeah. So uh, <laughs> once they get to the, the Hathaway, Riker's able to pick his crew and he brings um, Jordy over. And I'm trying to remember, did he bring any other like named characters other than wesley wharf wharf that's that's right because when he asks boy band just no data right yeah (laughs) that's right because when he goes when he approaches wharf for it wharf is just like oh there's you know wharf doesn't really see the point in a war game simulation because he's like look there's nothing to be gained because there's nothing actually at risk here you know you're not actually doing combat every like all the hits are simulated the ships are just firing harmless lasers at each other that register hits it's like space laser tag but uh you know record is like well it's you know for the honor of the ship it's for uh ha- having bragging rights to say yeah we we were able to uh stand up against the enterprise um but but Riker does point out he's like but look the Hathaway is an eighty year old ship uh, you're outmanned you're outgunned uh, you're outmaneuvered <laughs> what, what do you have and I the second before Worf said it I said the word it's been forever since I saw this episode but I still remember guile <laughs> guile it was such a good word to use there too mm-hmm. and it's very Worf it's like oh yeah if nothing we've got the balls. <laughs> <laughs> So and and you know in the end really if he hadn't had Worf he would not have won the game even before the Ferengi showed up. Well, because he was outgunned, outmanned, outnumbered, outplanned, and he's gonna need his right hand man. <laughs> I'm sorry, I've been waiting to make that joke too. I just was <laughs> was waiting for time to make it because every time I hear outgunned, outmanned, I can't help but being like immigrants. We get the job done, and it's like every time, every time I hear it, and I keep hearing it now: outnumbered, outmanned, outgunned, outplanned. And anytime any uses anybody uses those combination of words, I will. I cannot stop myself. I have to sing Hamilton. <laughs> Um, so then they tell Wesley to improvise or they tell everybody to improvise. So the ship has like just minimal dilithium left and no antimatter, which means there's, you know, no way for them to go to warp because even though, you know, you need dilithium to regulate the, uh, um, the reaction, but the dilithium isn't the fuel, the antimatter is the fuel, but, uh, Wesley then suddenly goes, oh, I just remember, I have to go back to the Enterprise. We're like, what? We're in the middle of things. Like, yeah, but I left an important uh, uh, experiment <laughs> running. for It's for my, my uh, physics grade. I got to go check on it. And they're like, okay. So they uh, have him beam over. Like, um, they agree. It's like, okay, Wesley, you can beam over so long as you've got a security expert, uh, security escort, and you only look at that thing and you don't touch anything else. Because, you know, we are in the middle of preparations for a war game and we don't need you doing any fancy espionage stuff. And so... 
Wesley goes, and the security guard, who's played by Glenn Morshower, you've probably seen him in everything because he's like he seemed familiar, yeah. Uh, he was like he's played a general in in like the uh, the Transformers movies. Uh, oh. He played a Secret Service agent on Twenty Four. He's he's been in everything. He's always playing kind of that character, like a, a security, like like a, a cop or Secret Service officer <laughs> yeah. or or a um you know a, a, a military guy. He, he's a, well, he's, a he's, character immu- character. he's not immune to the power of oh I'm just a kid nothing I could be doing could possibly be wrong <laughs> well he's it's very obvious that he's not an engineer and he doesn't know anything because Wesley's just like BSing that's like oh no this is ruined I'm gonna have to take this to the transporter pad and beam it into space to properly dispose of it and like the guy's like fine just let's hurry up <laughs> and then <laughs> it just thinking. shows up on the other ship I know I know <laughs> and, and, and I don't even remember what exactly the, the, the thing does, but I think it was a way that he was able to generate antimatter. And so like, OK, well, we've got some got some antimatter now. We, we should be able to uh, to, to give the uh, the warp engines a little bit of juice. Uh, then Worf comes up with a, uh, a great tactic because he's like, look, I obviously I know Enterprise's security systems. So um, I'm just I've got a, a, a sensor trick that's going to make them see another uh, ship warp in. Uh, once the battle actually begins, like, you know, uh, the Enterprise shows up, but all of a sudden there's like a, uh, a Romulan ship that shows up. They're like, oh, shit, shield <laughs> up, we switch over to real weapons. And then like it just vanishes. But as, with their back turned, the Hathaway goes and like lands several hits and everything. And Picard's just like, ha, nice, nice one. I know. He is like, nice. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, Data, change the security code so Worf can't do that again. <laughs> but uh, then... A Ferengi ship shows up and Picard's like, wow, I'm impressed, Mr. Worf. But then it actually fires on them like, oh, shit, it's real this time. Shields up. Get us between get between uh, the Hathaway and the Ferengi ship because the Hathaway has no weapons. The Enterprise's weapons are just disabled. But the being hit by the Ferengi ship disabled their weapons. It's like fused so they can't actually fire. And their transporter beams, so they can't rescue the crew. That's right. Yeah. And the Ferengi are just like, well, you guys were fighting with each other, but now you're 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 between us and the other ship. That other ship has no fuel, has minimal crew, has no weapons. So that tells me that whatever is on there must be very valuable, that you're protecting it from us. So we're going to get it. And oh, the, the Ferengi is played by Armin Shimmerman. But it's Principal Snyder again, and he's still not Quark. <laughs> I don't know what's going on here, but why isn't that man Quark yet? I actually forgot that he played another Ferengi <laughs> other than in the first episode and, and in Deep Space Nine. Like, he showed up and I just did a double take. I'm like, that's Quark, isn't it? Yeah, it is. <laughs> I know. I saw his name in the previews and I was like, oh, maybe it'll finally be Quark. Nope. <laughs> no. Although Quark... Does I think Cork does have a uh, cameo appearance in TNG after Deep Space Nine starts? Like I think they they call him for some information. He shows up on the view screen, so oh, we okay. will see Cork. Actually, because of how we're doing this, we'll we'll meet Cork on TNG before we even get to Deep Space Nine. Oh, that's true. We will. <laughs> <laughs> they concoct a plan because they can't fire on it, but because Wesley saved the day, because Wesley stole that thing and gave them some antimatter. Uh, the Hathaway will be able to do some warp maneuvers. And so they do a little fancy trick where the Enterprise uh, is like, well, we could like we could fire backward and make like an explosion and then you could warp away right at the minute or right at the same moment. So it looks like we've blown you up. It was so and, clever. And it's a bluff. And Picard's like, is like, no, you can't have the Hathaway. We deny you your prize. And then just blows it up. Obviously, they're fine. But then <laughs> the Frank are just like, 
you guys are nuts. <laughs> but but that's okay. Uh, your weapons aren't working, so we're just gonna take you. But then the Hathaway warps in behind them, and they're like, "We've been outmaneuvered! Run!" And then they just run. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. That was that was that was the episode. Um. I didn't. I didn't. Like I said, I think I liked the B plot better, but I uh-huh. really, really liked the maneuver of pretending they blew up the Anne Hathaway because I was like, <laughs> the Anne Hathaway. That's what I've been calling it the whole time in my head to remember what it was called. Um, but they blow, they, you know, that the whole pretending, because what was the episode where they skipped the, the shuttle off the atmosphere or whatever? That was also very clever, but I think this one takes the cake away from that episode. That was the, that wasn't that the episode where Wesley was taking his academy exam thing? I think so. That sounds yeah. right. And I think Jordy was somehow in charge. No, that was in a complete. That was Arsenal of Freedom. Oh, um, okay. No, the 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 one where they skipped the shuttle off the atmosphere. That was actually Picard talking to the kid who had stolen the shuttlecraft, talking him into that maneuver. That's right. That's right. That was good. That used to be my favorite maneuver, and now I think this one takes the cake. I really liked it. This one feels a lot to me like the Picard maneuver because it is you know using a warp trick to make the Ferengi think, oh, there's another ship. And uh, now with the Picard maneuver itself, it's more of a sensor trick. It's like, oh, I actually don't know which one is the real ship. But here it was. Oh, we blew it up. Oh, no, there's another one. Right. It was clever. I liked it. I thought it was Mm -hmm. good. So Shades of Grey is the 22nd episode of the second season. It is the finale. It aired on the 17th of July, 1989. It was written by a lot of people. Um, Maurice Hurley, Richard Manning, and Hans Beamler all wrote the teleplay. The story was actually by Maurice Hurley, and it was directed by Rob Bowman. We got to talk about why there exists a clip show in Star Trek. Yeah, let's talk about that, because I hate clip shows. So in 1988, uh, the summer of 1988, there was the Writers Guild strike. Like the one that ruined Heroes. Yes, like the one that killed Heroes. <laughs> um, and because of that, TNG got a late start. Like usually the shows start up in September. The show didn't start until November. And so they had like a shortened uh, episode count. Mm-hmm. And because um, there's like 22 this season instead of 24 to 26, like the yeah, other tw- season. Yeah, every other season, I think, has 26. But this had 22. And uh, they also had some cost overruns with like the Borg episode and Elementary De- Dear Data was apparently a really expensive episode to produce mm. as well. And so the um, the studio was just like, you got to give us a clip show because we're out of money. Uh, you got to give us something that we can shoot on like existing sets in like three days. So they're like, OK, I guess we can give you a clip show. And I know it was common then, but it's so stupid. It was stupid back then. Yeah, um, I actually, because we were going to record this like last weekend. And so I had had to rewatch everything again just to refresh myself. I know. And, uh, this time I definitely was just like, skip, 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 skip. Just get to the story parts. Just get to the framing. There was a lot of framing. <laughs> the framing is that they're like uh, down on planet Dagobah. <laughs> I'm glad you caught that, too. <laughs> and, and like some like living uh, vine thing with a thorn on it has stabbed Riker and it's like got some some like infection that's like attacking his nervous system. Mm-hmm. And so they have to beam him up. But not till Pulaski goes down there without any PPE because that's smart. Pulaski didn't beam down there. No. Uh, um, Data and Jordy beamed down there. No, Pulaski went because oh. yeah, because because even um, O'Brien makes fun of her easily because he and then that's she says, right, "Oh, I don't right, even right. like funny transporter chiefs or whatever." You're right. You're right. <laughs> 
Yeah, no, okay. See, again, because I skipped through a bunch of it, so and, and I was just like, look, this is, it's it's the uh, it's the clip show, so none of this matters. But anyway, she beams him to sickbay, and, like, his leg starts going numb, and so she's like, all right, well, let's get you on the bio bed, and then they send uh, Data and Jordy down to the planet to find out what stuck him, and apparently they had planned for this scene to be a bit more elaborate, but because it's a cost-cutting episode, they cut costs on it. Um, <laughs> And, like, when they find the vine, like, uh, Jordy reaches out to it and, like, it actually, like, comes to life and tries to stab him, too. But Data's right there so he can grab it and then they, like, uh, phaser off the, the thorn on it <laughs> so that they can use it to study what uh, what the toxin is. Yeah, originally it was supposed to be, like, the entire jungle was supposed to come alive and try to eat them. And oh, that would have been more interesting. Been, that would have been yeah. more interesting. Anyway... Uh, the infection is, like, spreading into his, like, spinal column and heading toward his brain. And so the solution is, and here is the framing device for the clip show, they have to fight it by releasing certain endorphins in his brain associated with memories. Yep. So so they start with some random stuff. Yeah, it's just, ran- well, because it was just, he's just having random memories. Right, like, first he meets Data, and then the flirting with Guinan, and then goodbye Deanna, when he does the whole not goodbye, but until next time. And then, all of a sudden, he's on the planet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, and because Deanna's there, because she can sense his emotions, so she knows what kind of memories he's having, but they find out as he's going through all of his erotic memories, that that's actually making the infection worse. And so they're like, okay, well, we need negative uh, memories to bring up. So they bring up Tasha dying. Immediately. And- they're like, oh, let's switch from this quick, like, it was it was like, ah, oh, the planet, ah, oh, minuet, oh, one nipple shirt, oh, Irish girl. And then it was like, oh, hey, this isn't working I know. Let's make Ari watch Tasha die again. <laughs> I was like, what? Is-? I, I was writing notes and my notes just say no with like 20 O's because I wasn't expecting it. But it also does, you know, remind you that uh, uh, Beverly Crusher was once on the show as well. It does. <laughs> I know. I was so excited to see her and I was like, next episode, my friend. Next it's episode. funny too because you would like texted me beforehand and you're like i'm gonna make a prediction about this I episode did. because did. You, you knew that the framing device was like Riker had a medical emergency and you were that's thinking, all i knew was it was a clip episode and Riker was sick <laughs> so you predicted that it was going to be like a big reveal that they get beverly back on the ship so that she can treat him yeah nope. Nope, this is a cost-saving episode. I think there was only nine <laughs> actors on set for any of it. Like, it's the, the, the lowest actor count for any show. Yeah, no, it, I see why now it wouldn't have worked, but my Worf idea was clever. Worf and Wesley aren't even, like, they only show up in the clips. They, they, they weren't uh, acting in this episode. And they only use, like, the Alien Planet set and Sick Bay. And did they even visit the bridge? I don't think they used the bridge. I think it was just sick bay, I don't the transporter room, scene on the and bridge. the alien planet, and that's it. And, uh, yeah, if you're only using three sets, then you could do that in a three-day shoot pretty easily. And I can't... I wonder how many... Because, like, a lot of, like, the sick bay shots, they just have, like, 
uh, Pulaski looking into like the the little uh, microscope thing on on the bio bed, and yeah. then it will cut to Deanna looking concerned because Will's dying, and then it'll cut to Pulaski looking at the scope on the bio bed, then it'll cut to Deanna looking concerned because Will's dying, and I wonder how many of the shots were reused. <laughs> Just the same shots. <laughs> I know. So I think the only two there was there was two good things that came out of the clip episode. One was Imzadi. Yes. And and this isn't a good thing, but she called him Will and I was annoyed. I was like, She's not gonna call me. him Bill again. It's not <laughs> happening. Stop trying to make fetch a thing. Stop trying to make Bill happen. Yeah. <laughs> I but she said it twice and now she's just suddenly calling him Will. I call BS. <laughs> Uh-huh. Maybe but maybe I, she was replaced by one of those vicious uh, vine things that like took human form. <laughs> maybe. Um, but at the end, in the end, he defeated it with the power of memories, like some Kingdom Hearts nonsense. <laughs> but I was just glad to see the episode was over. Well, and also he like woke up. He's like, man, you wouldn't believe the dreams I've been having. And the Deanna's like, no, I was listening the whole time. I was spying on your dreams. <laughs> I definitely, definitely was there. <laughs> I mean, so I didn't hate it, but this is the only clip episode I ever have to deal with. Right. Uh, technically, the series finale of uh, Deep Space Nine has like a brief segment of clips where just people are remembering things that happened, but it's like, it's like a five minute segment. It's not. Okay. It's not, so it's not like this. No, yeah. <laughs> no, it's not a full clip episode. It's just, here are some clips. So you could technically call it a clip episode, but it's not the focus of the episode. It wasn't a cost saving measure. It was a, let's remember the show. Cause it's ending. Can you think of a clip episode that's ever been good in any TV show ever? Um, no, because it is inherently a garbage format. But um, actually, I kind of think Lost, like maybe once a season, they would do like a, a special episode that wasn't part of the main thing. But it was basically a clip episode, but it would be there to like get people caught up caught on what up. they've missed. Because Lost was serialized storytelling before streaming was mainstream. So, yeah. I mean, we... was. We were getting to DVRs at that point, but a lot of people were still just watching broadcast week to week. And so lost doing those like periodical once a season uh, catch up episodes. Those were pretty helpful. Yeah. But again, those weren't cost saving measures. Then they weren't part of the uh, the main episode order. Those were just specially produced by ABC to be like, hey, guys, uh, you should be watching our show and here, 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 catch up. Yeah. Because I watched the first season or two on DVD. That's how somebody got me into it. They just handed me the DVDs. And then I started watching it live. So I remember these episodes you're talking about. And they were helpful. Um, But I'm struggling to think of a time that I ever was like, oh, hell yeah, that clip episode was great. (laughs) But I just hate clip episodes. Because every time they came on, it was just like, oh, it's not even anything new. Especially back in a time when we had to be in front of our TVs at a certain time to watch our Uh shows. It would be so annoying. Because you'd tune in to a new episode and the new episode would just be a collection of clips there is a clip episode of the simpsons um where they're all reminiscing about uh different uh romantic stories that they've had and like the episode like none of the writers wanted to do it they're like we don't want to work on a freaking clip show and so but they were forced to so in protest they're like all right fine you want us to do a clip show there was not a single frame of new animation in that entire episode they just repurposed 
shots oh. from other things and then just like dubs the dialogue over and and they would like even draw attention to because like there's like one point where uh homer and marge are in bed and like marge is reading something but then homer like tosses the book into a fireplace <laughs> and then marge comments is like oh, i knew we shouldn't have put that fireplace in here <laughs> <laughs> it was just it's like obviously there's no fireplace in their bedroom but it's like hey let's right. draw attention and, and even like they even spell out what they're doing because lisa and bart are watching itchy and scratchy and marge is like how many times can you laugh at uh, itchy killing uh, scratchy that way and um uh, bart goes it's a new episode and lisa goes actually bart it's not it's uh, uh, it's uh, uh, new editing but uh, they're just repurposing old animation <laughs> <laughs> that's funny that's good yeah i mean at least they're tongue in cheek about it yeah. i just i just well while i was watching this it was just reminding me of the worst of the 80s and 90s with the clip shows and it just left a bad taste actually, in my mouth there was another simpsons clip i was showing that was actually a good one and because it was like uh it was like the simpsons episode whatever spectacular but it was just some uh just whatever episode that it had come out but it wasn't like a, a big milestone but uh it was troy mcclure presenting the thing and there was a lot of like deleted scenes and like behind the scenes information that they yeah. brought into it so it was just like kind of it was a meta episode but it was like oh here's some funny uh stuff that you probably didn't see or here's some like you know uh cool hints explaining like all, all the hints that they had laid out for uh the who uh shot mr burns um storyline oh, yeah. was like yeah i remember they pointed that. out all of that so that was a cool episode even though it's like it's not really a Simpsons episode. It's more of a behind the scenes thing, but it's like a DVD extra before DVD extras were a thing is what it sounds like. Right. But, yeah. And it's presented <laughs> by Troy McClure the whole time and it's fully animated. So, you know, it's nice. Yeah. Um, the, I think the only framing that I've ever seen for a clip show that actually like made sense in terms of the storyline was in uh, Alias. There's a, uh, a an episode, their clip show episode, uh, Sydney uh, is being debriefed by the CIA on, like, you know, the events of stuff because, like, she's under investigation. And so she has to explain to the CIA panel, basically, the events of the show up to that point. And yeah. so, you know, that that is the framing for it. But, like, it still, like, progresses the story because, you know, she's under investigation and here is... The episode where she's under investigation. Uh, it's still annoying because it's a clip show, but at least I'm like, okay. There's at least a real reason. Because, like, this Riker re reason wasn't a real reason. No. Like, and the Office one, I feel like I've talked about this before, but the one on The Office I always skip is the framing devices. They're being bought by Sabre, which is a real thing that happens in the show. And right. so the, it's like the insurance person is here to investigate the, the office to see if it's worth the money. And that's the framing device. So there's clever framing devices, but it doesn't make clip shows was better usually you no. know but they're still clip shows but i mean it was a weird way to end season two but i mean man we're at the end of season two yeah we are <laughs> i know <laughs> let's talk about that yeah i didn't really prepare anything like i did for the end of, where i thought about it and decided right. what i wanted to say um i just i'm really enjoying it still but I feel like this season, I really got to know the characters. Mm -hmm. Like, I now I like I probably have shot Data way to the top of my he's probably up there with the Wesleys. Like this season, was, I thought Wesley was really weak. And I think half of the reason is his mom wasn't here. I think that had a lot to do with it. Yeah, I agree. I think they didn't know what they were going to do with it because Wesley has uh, quite a lot to do in the first season. A um, lot. Yeah. <laughs> 
But it feels like they're like, well, I mean, we fired Gates, but we didn't fire Will Wheaton. So we're in an awkward position where why isn't the kid leaving? But then most of his scenes in the first season, a lot of times were with his mom. I was thinking of the times he saved the ship solo without her, but they didn't even lean on that. But you're right. A lot of his good scenes, like the ones where you really like Wesley, are the ones with his mom. Fortunately, she's coming back. So, you know, we get to uh, have some 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 Wesley mom time. Good. Yeah, he's kind of taken a backseat. And like in peak performance, it was pretty noticeable that that he actually got something to do this time because usually he was just sitting there flying the ship. Even on Wesley centric episodes, it wasn't very Wesley. It was just like this could be any kid. Not it didn't necessarily have to be Wesley, but I'm hoping that changes. But I mean, I understand why they're not focusing on him as much, but we got so much wharf change this year or this year this this season that i really i mean wharf has like shot up for me and i feel like wharf riker data and geordie had the strongest season i think wharf especially um i mean uh the emissary was they left it on such a strong episode yeah and uh that episode you know has ramifications going forward just because of wharf and kalar and she's coming back she's such an important character like i i, I can't Talk about why, but you're gonna you're gonna understand why once once she comes back. Does she come back with a kid? I can't say anything. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but um, <laughs> but yes, it was well. Not only the emissary though, there was the there was the um, the second episode where Worf was pivotal to the war games and to saving them when it yeah. came time. So he had two really strong episodes there at the end, and so did Data had the episode with his crisis of faith read at the end. They, mm-hmm. And then Riker had his, you know, they even said he's the best. Or had They had Picard say he is the best in that last episode, not including the clip episode. Mm-hmm. And I was like, so they really just, they left the season on super strong Worf, super strong Data, super strong Riker. Well, they didn't end the season on super strong Riker. They ended the season on super weak Riker. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I, I just want to pretend that episode doesn't exist, apparently. <laughs> it's easy to forget that it exists. Um, I think the best thing that you can say about uh, um, Shades of Grey is uh, what a send off to Dr. Pulaski. Right, because that was what I was just going to say is let's talk about Pulaski. So <laughs> right <laughs> as she starts to grow on me, now she's gone, right? Like, uh-huh. is she ever coming back or is it just going to be when season three starts? I'm never going to see Pulaski again. You're never going to see her again. I don't even think anyone ever mentions her again. I don't think she's brought up at all. I think people just forget about her. (laughs) Poor Diana Muldar. (laughs) Like, she wasn't a very popular character with the fans or even with the cast. Like, uh, she didn't really get along with the crew as much. And actually, apparently, like, you know, a bunch of the cast were, like, you know, going and, like, pestering Gates. They're like, hey, please, please come back to the show. We miss you. Come back to the show. We don't like this new doctor. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it was the way she was written. I don't know what she was like when they when they when the cameras weren't rolling, but mm-hmm. the way she was written, she wasn't written very well. But I actually had started to like her by the end. And you know, I tried really hard. You asked me at the first episode of the season one, you said keep an open mind. Yep. She's going to leave. And now she has. And yeah, here she's gone now forever. But I mean, she had some really strong episodes and she actually like, I mean, when she was encouraging Data to go against uptight man i don't remember what his name was in in stratagem i'm not saying it right 
yes, there. that's what it is. When she told him that, I was like, oh, she actually likes Data. I mean, which is such a change from calling him Data and saying he's not a real person and all that stuff she was doing in the first season or mm-hmm. the first part of the season. So I gave her a chance and I ended up kind of liking her and now she's just gone forever. But I mean, I don't really like her. I'll be extremely happy to see <laughs> Gates McFadden come back. <laughs> it was um, actually uh, Jesse Gender. I think she she had tweeted when they announced with uh, Picard season three that the, uh, the the whole cast was coming back, the TNG cast. She yeah. was just like, are they ever going to address what happened to Pulaski? Like, this is probably <laughs> the last opportunity. Are they at least going to like have a line of dialogue that, that mentions her? <laughs> it would be funny if they were just like, remember that time Pulaski? And they all go, who? because it's been so long at this point but yeah or it could even be like a uh you know somebody mentions a planet they're like oh that's the planet where she died off screen between seasons (laughs) (laughs) so when gates just i guess i'll find out when i watch it you do not need to explain it to me i just i to be honest Uh um i almost started watching the next episode just to see how they reintroduced (laughs) her and i was like no you must wait you can't just do that So I'm excited. I'm excited for season three. I am excited for season three. Uh, but speaking of waiting, we are actually going to be taking a couple week break with the, uh, yeah. the podcast. We're going to recharge and uh, come back uh, refreshed with, uh, you know, uh, ready to go with some uh, some new episodes. We are. Yeah, it'll be our first actual break since we started doing the podcast. And I, th- I think a couple weeks and we'll be back. But then we'll do season three. I'm really excited about it. I think it's going to be exciting. Is this the one with rest of both worlds in it? Yes, that is the uh, the season finale. That is season is three it? and okay. four. Yes, so I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> Well, I guess that's it for now and then. We'll be back in a couple weeks. Uh, thanks for joining us today. I'm Ari. And I'm Gay Fesh. And until next time, live long and prosper. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed it, don't forget to subscribe and consider writing a review in your podcast service. We're on Twitter at Rest Both Worlds. Join our Patreon at patreon.com slash worlds for bonus content and hear your name at the end of each episode.